Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello, bienvenue and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast. With Matt Spiro away representing us at the G7 Summit in Biarritz, the pod has been left in the hands of me, David Crossan, and I'm extra motivated this week after falling victim to our rotation system last time out. Joining me, the only person to leave the Parc des Princes on Sunday night uninjured, it seems. Robbie Thompson, no niggles, I hope? No, all good. A little bit tired. Didn't get out of the stadium till uh, just before two o'clock in the morning. But uh, So I'm a little worse for wear in, in that respect, but physically I'm fine. And to his left, a man with quite the claim to fame, Armel Tongi, the only league and commentator to have described two Chupomoting goals in the same game. Ah, oh, yes. So did I leave injured last night then? Yeah, did you? Okay, yes. Limping all the way here. Good morning, everyone. And completing our panel of experts, Andy Scott, a good league and weekend for you, Andy. Fantastic league and weekend, Dave. Pleasure to be here again. We're going to start with Paris Saint-Germain, back to winning ways, thrashing to lose 4-0 after losing to Rennes in week two. But it was a Pyrrhic victory with injuries to Cavani, Mbappe and Diallo. Armel Tongi commentated this one. Chupamotting, still going Chupamotting, brilliant footwork. Oh, what a goal that is. Well, the Parc de France has gone wild for Eric Maxim Chupamotting. That had shades of Neymar about it. It's his first of the season. And it's a memorable one. Towards Chupamotting, back post, it's Sarabia, and turned into his own net by Mathieu Gonçalves. You have to feel for him. In the meantime, it's Paris Saint-Germain 2 to lose nil. Outside for Bernat, who can pick his spot, and Eric Maxime Chupamotting gets his second of the evening, and Paris Saint-Germain's third. And it comes now from Di Maria, and attacking it is Marquinhos. What a bullet header that was to make it four for Paris Saint-Germain. So Paris Saint-Germain back on track, but it was a costly win, Armel, with those injuries. It was indeed. I'm not sure if uh, Abdou Diallo's is an injury or not. I think it was described as dizziness. It was a bit of a strange one. I didn't really see what happened, why he went off. But uh, continuing with the injuries, Mbappe's is probably the most worrying, uh, a hamstring strain and that's something that, as Andy was saying, as we were building up to this, you wonder how many of those he's going to have in his career, the way he accelerates, he kind of just ran out of space on the pitch as he pulled up. Cavani, well his injury was a bit perplexing as well because the whistle had already gone for an offside and he decided to kind of have a go at goal anyway because the ball was bouncing. So. And he's had a lot of injury problems. He hurt himself taking that penalty with great force against Bordeaux last season. Mm-hmm. Missed about 100 days of last season. It's starting to get worrying for someone who's turned past 30. But at least now PSG can rely on Eric Maxim Chupamotting for goals. And what a goal it was, his first one. Uh, memories of Neymar from a couple of years ago against Toulouse when he used a couple of drag backs to beat five or six Toulouse defenders and then score. Robbie, you agree with that? Absolutely, it was Neymar-esque. No, I, I, fantastic to see Shupo. Uh, I was just telling Dave before we came on that the other day I was at the training centre and Shupo's just such a normal person. He comes and sits down with us, the media guys, and he chats to us about you know what was on TV or, or, or about football, about anything, about, about his kids, about growing up in Germany. And I'm prepared to launch into my, my first coup de gueule. Go for actually, it. If go we're, for we're it. You, you must be pretty stoked this morning as an Australian, so go for it. Chupamoting, a former Stoke player. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, merde. Quelle bande de chèvres. C'est mon coup de gueule. Okay, well, I was going to, uh, to launch this, this coup de gueule, this rant, last year when uh, there was a lot of criticism of Chupo, a lot of criticism in general of footballers, and it's, it's, it's only getting worse and worse. But this idea that a footballer can be crap when they play, when they're a professional athlete playing for, for any first division side, second division side, when we think about it, and this is something that I think people, people that have ever kicked a ball probably understand, anyone that wanted to be a professional footballer would understand, that 
for us growing up, there was always one kid who was a really, really good footballer. There, we played with them in our local team. There was one guy who was the best in the side by a long way. Well, that guy never got anywhere near being a professional footballer. So why do people think that Shupo Moting or someone playing for Lorient in the second division, someone playing in a, in a small Dutch side, uh, it can just be crap. They're not crap. They're the best player that we ever played with times five million. They're there. Schupo grew up in Germany, came through the German system, international for Cameroon, played, got out of Germany, was signed to go and play in England, now signed to come and play for Paris Saint-Germain. He is not crap. <laughs> that, that's, and why people think that they're in a position to say, he's rubbish, get rid of him, he's rubbish, they're rubbish, rubbish coach, rubbish player. They are not. There are reasons why certain things don't work, but these guys are much better footballers than us. I completely, completely agree with that. I think everybody would. I think um, one thing you would say about Eric Maxim Chupomoting, though, is that in, in football, like in all um, branches of entertainment, we like sort of pantomime villains. And in a way, that's kind of what he is because he's not quite in the same category maybe as a Neymar. Obviously, they'd signed a year before. He was a free transfer from um, Stoke City when he arrived, uh, not quite fitting in with the sort of Galacticos kind of uh, tr- recruitment policy, if you like. And of course, that incredible miss he had at the end of last season, mm. at the end of the day, that is always going to be there with him. And he scored that fabulous goal last night at the same end of the field, which kind of made up for it. But and we're he- still never going to forget that moment at the end of last season, no matter what he does now. I had him uh, for an interview post-match last night and uh, he came into our little PSG TV studio and just before the cameraman was ready and everything, we're chatting, he's got his man of the match award. And I, and I said to him exactly that. I said, Shupo, you know, it's, it's symbolic almost that you've scored in that goal where, you know, we heard the fans calling again, but you, you broke the curse by scoring there. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's true. I never really thought about it. And then I asked him the question again, rephrased it when we were recording. And he said, and he went into this spiel about, you know, all the criticism that he received last year, he just stopped reading it, he stopped listening to it, and social media, you know, all the the haters are going to hate, all that sort of thing. He just said, I'm very lucky, I have my life, I'm happy, I have my family, I play here for Paris Saint-Germain, I love my football, I'm not going to let it get to me. So all these people that are on social media and that say these people, these players are rubbish and everything, it doesn't even get through half the time. No. The players have, and it's sad that the players have had to build these mm. these shells around them. Mm. To, to and that's why certain players do seem detached from reality. And no I've got some have. great quotes in front of me here, Robbie. And he's, yeah. he's talking about the the social media and saying how people hide behind pseudonyms. But there's there's a bit at the end of this paragraph that it was a great week for Chupo Moting because. Uh, the burglars were caught as well. Or ah, the the accused good. burglars were caught. Seven people arrested. There's been a, a spate of burglaries at Paris Saint-Germain players. And I think yeah. Eric Maxim Tripel-Moting was victim twice yep. to these. Yeah. And so laughingly he said, yeah, we even got the burglars. So what, what a week. <laughs> well, he, good on him. He's, 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 um, his role at PSG is almost a bit like the, that role of maybe a third-choice goalkeeper or exactly, something. He signs yeah. for a big club. He knows when he comes in that he's not going to be playing much football. But he, he has adapted to get used to that because, as you say, previously, I mean, he was a big star in the teams he played for. He was a big name, not just literally, but he was a big name in, in big German <laughs> There are some bigger teams. names. We'll come on to that later. <laughs> yeah. You know, playing for teams like Hamburg and Schalke, anybody who knows anything, the slightest thing about German football knows that these are big teams playing in front of bigger crowds than Paris Saint-Germain do. But he has adapted to this idea of being the third, fourth choice attacker. Now it looks like he might just be about to get a little run in the team. And of course, there's been discussions about him moving. Uh, Lecce was the team uh, very closely linked with him. And uh, the understanding was that he's not interested in moving to a team who are likely to be battling against relegation this season. I mean, good for him. He wants to stay put. He wants to take the chances that he gets in the PSG team, be part of a squad that's likely to win silverware. You know, it's, it's a much more attractive proposition than playing for a team who may be relegated. I should stress we're speaking now before any official word has come out of Paris Saint-Germain as to the extent of the injuries to Kylian Mbappé and Enzo Cavani. Yeah. So we, we don't know quite how much of a, of a role Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting will have to play or indeed Neymar. Will Paris Saint-Germain have to bring Neymar back? You've said, there was a, You've said the name. There was a poll and 64% of Paris Saint-Germain <clears throat> fans wanted Neymar gone according to this poll, which I think was in one of the newspapers. Um, 
Was it but Martin compared Bolker? to the previous home game, there weren't anti-Neymar chants or banners last night. Is it possible mm. that Neymar can come back in? They'll. I was going to say they'll need him for the Champions League if Mbappe mm. and Cavani are injured, but he's suspended for the first three games anyway, so it could be to promoting leading there, the line. There is talk, uh, I mean, Robbie obviously maybe has more of the inside track uh, than, than I do, but there is obviously talk of a... Uh, uh, not that he's going to give anything away, Absolutely. I should say, <laughs> the, the, the death stare that he's just given me. But um, no, you know, the, the, there is talk of a rapprochement to some extent between uh, the club and the players and Neymar. Obviously, the closer we get to the to the end of the transfer window, we're sitting here with exactly a week to go. We've, we've discussed in previous pods about how complicated any transfer deal for Neymar would be. So there is obviously, you know, with every minute that passes, it's more likely that Neymar is going to stay. And, you know, if he does stay, I've said this before, he'll end up playing and he, he will have a, a very important part to play. I mean, you think back to the last time that PSG, well, when PSG played Toulouse at home two years ago, it was Neymar's home debut mm. and he lit that game up, as, as, as Armel said previously, uh, with, uh, I think, two goals and two assists in a 6-2 win. And, and really, the comparison between that game and at half-time last night between PSG and Toulouse was not particularly favourable for Paris Saint-Germain because they were struggling to knock down the door. Mm. With, obviously so with no Neymar on the field. Even then. They, they had chances, they but... They yeah. scored four goals as well. About Neymar, and, and I don't speak on behalf of the, the club, and I'm certainly not privy to, to decisions that are made at that level, but for, at, at my level, I can honestly say, no idea what Neymar is going to do. <laughs> what, it just changes. Thanks, from, Rob. Is that the official? Every, <laughs> literally. But I think, and I think this, well, this reflects the feelings of perhaps other people that are, that are in the club as well. Honestly, nobody knows what's going to happen. We hear mm. so many things that there's, there's the obviously Barcelona, Real Madrid are in. They're mm. trying to formulate deals that will be accepted. <clears throat> then we hear suddenly that there are other clubs that might come in for Neymar. Then it looks, you, you have the coach and Leonardo's, the way they express themselves publicly seems to change a little bit. That they say, look, he's a good kid, which is, you know, certainly true once you're inside the Paris Saint-Germain changing room with with his teammates and everything he's he's a he's a young man who loves playing football like all of them the the thing is it just keeps changing the the momentum mm. keeps changing now it looks like he's going to stay all of a sudden now it looks like he's going to leave again all it takes is one big deal someone comes in with the money before the 2nd of September and he will go just to add before we move on from PSG about Brazilian momentum how about the momentum on Marquinhos's header for the fourth goal his 250th uh, appearance for Paris Saint-Germain he celebrated it came in like an like a train for that goal I really enjoyed watching that seventh Ligue 1 headed goal from Marquinhos maybe he can play centre well. forward I, I think the ideal situation for Paris Saint-Germain is that they get this Neymar situation sorted out that Cavani and Mbappe actually get a little bit of rest don't mm. have to play in the international mm. games that are going to come up after week four but then that they are fit maybe not for match day one of the Champions League but at least for match day two it's better that they get injured at this time of the season rather than in February or March, the way Neymar has the last couple of years. Yes, but what if the Champions League draw, we're drawn against uh, one of the big sides and we're playing them at home in the first game and suddenly we don't have a striker and, of course, it's the first game of the Champions League. You, you don't need to win it at absolutely mm. all costs. But we saw last year, it was very fine lines and details well, you, that you decided who went through from that group. And, and suddenly, all of a sudden, from... Looking in a solid position, Paris Saint-Germain could be going to this match with Choupo Moting literally as your your front man, and not too many other options. On a, on a positive note, Angel Di Maria looked brilliant last night. He looks full of confidence, and it's almost impossible to get the ball off him mm-hmm. at the moment without fouling him. So that's and a Mr. big Penalty. positive going forward. I think Pablo Sarabia still needs to adapt to the PSG way a little bit. He didn't get too many touches of the ball going forward but Di Maria real positive performance and I suppose night. the other thing is uh, the, the debut for Idrissa Gay who had a, a, a fairly calming presence in midfield um, and all around plenty of positives for PSG can I just say a, a quick word as well about Toulouse because uh, poor Matteo Gonzalez making his uh, Ligue 1 debut his professional debut his professional debut that terrible own goal and of course giving away the penalty mm. which, uh, which was missed by uh, Angel Di Maria saved by the goalkeeper but um, for me, should never have been a penalty in the first place. Really, I think with the new with the new um, mm. interpretation of the handball law. So from that point of view, very unfortunate for him. And, um, and I then hope that he, he does better uh, going forward. He had a good game, René, in goal. Don't forget, he's the goalkeeper that conceded eight, eight goals yeah. for Dijon at the Parc des Princes. So probably, you know, starts breaks into a cold sweat when he thinks about. Segway from René to René. 
We're going to talk about Stade René. And uh, as you know, our regular listeners, we have an eminence grise in our ranks, Ian Holyman, our executive producer. But he's also a prime journalist and commentator, and he commentated Rennes' 2-0 win at Strasbourg. For Grenier, can he bring it under control? He can! And that's the opener. Clermont Grenier. And Ren lead a goal to nil. It's a good bit of play from Traore. Good ball too. And that is a lovely goal. And it's Nyong again. Ren, despite some upheaval in their squad, losing some big names in the summer, have won three games out of three. Brilliant from Julian Stefan's team. Admittedly, they were up against the tired Strasbourg who have played a lot of Europa League games and it's very hot in France at the moment and that certainly took its toll on Thierry Loret's side. Um, they've matched what Dijon did last season. Paris Saint-Germain also started with three wins from three. Dijon, and thanks to L'Equipe for this, they're the sole Fanny in uh, Ligue 1. And Fanny in French means they're without a point so far. But let's get back to Rennes. Uh, Edouard Mendy, very good on his debut. He saved a Jonas Martin penalty. It was harsh on Roman Salang, who was brilliant in Rennes' first two wins of the season, the veteran keeper. But Mendy did well. Ren got the win. Are they serious challengers? Challengers for what? Europe, at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I think so. I think without well, question. They're in I think Europe they, again. Yeah, and last year. So they're, 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 that is that is some consistency. Yeah, and that that is obviously a, a one um, reason to question them going forward because obviously we've talked about how they've lost players and they're trying to rebuild the squad. Do they have the depth? to be able to challenge domestically and in the Europa League when, when the group stage begins. But there's no reason why not. I mean, they've had this fantastic start. They've not had easy games, by the way. Montpellier and Strasbourg away, either side of Paris Saint-Germain at home. They've won them all. And, um, you know, as I've said before, I think it's wide open, the race for the top three, certainly top four, top five this season. So, yeah, they are challengers for a European place without question. And they've got real quality in their team, despite having sold players like Ismail Assar, Clément Grenier, Got Lovely goal from him. Br- yeah, brilliant. He's got plenty of skills in his attic. And, uh, nice. Fancy attic. Nice. Yeah. M. Bainiong as well was a brilliant move, securing his uh, permanent, a permanent deal from Torino this summer. And I think that'll really pay. He's already scored more goals for Ren than any other club in his career and has continued that this week. I, and in I 2019, only Moussa Dembele of Lyon and uh, Kylian Mbappe of PSG have scored more goals than Mbignon. I don't really see them as a weakened side. I know some people do because obviously they've sold players, but they've also got young players coming through, you know, sort of second, third seasons now. The they have of- lost a lot of players, though. I think con- considering how they did last season, their European campaign, mm. winning the, the French Cup as well, because that, that was a big cup run as well. There were several times they were almost eliminated. They got big results against big teams on the way there. I think they have lost a lot of players. I think if anything, to, if they get a couple of injuries, depth could become a factor. But mm. talking about those first three games and the fact they have nine points, how many points do you think they, when they looked at the start of the calendar, would they have been happy with? Six, five, a win and two draws? or Even four, you know, I think, yeah. would have been all right. And yeah. Nine points. And that we've seen it in the past. A side that starts getting wins, getting confidence, it gives you wings. You can keep going. You can keep uh, really riding that wave of confidence and momentum. And one one player that I'm here. pleased to see get a run now is Roman Del Castillo. Uh, we're in this privileged position where we get to see quite a lot of UEFA Youth League games and... When I saw Del Castillo play for Lyon, he was, every time he was the standout player and I thought, he's going to go far. But then he had loan spells in Ligue 2, didn't break into the Rennes team, still a France under-21s international. But at 23, he's got to be breaking through this season. And he was linked with moves away, but he wants to stay showing his ambition. So I wish him all the best. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Edouard Mendy. I think he was second to Walter Benitez last season on the clean sheets list. That was the first penalty he'd saved. And is he going to be the latest in the line of top quality Ren goalkeepers that had the likes of Czech, Isaacson, Kostil, Kubek was pretty decent? Yeah, I mean, he's, um, his, his pedigree is obvious. I mean, anybody who watched him last season at Reims uh, knows that. He's uh, a fine goalkeeper, unfortunate to get injured at the Cup of Nations. Mm. And um, as you say, un- unfortunate for Roman Salan to, to have to give up his place because, uh, you know, he's, he's done very well. But Mendy's a, a very good goalkeeper. 
and uh, yeah, a, a club with um, with with a reputation not just for bringing through good goalkeepers, but for bringing through good players in general, and and potentially moving on from there to an even bigger club. Maybe that's what will happen to Mendy in the next in the next two three years. A point about that, I could not believe this summer that Marseille didn't show any interest in Edouard Mendy. He's a lad that he'd been on Marseille's books before. He'd played for their B team and they released him. He ended up going through a, a period of unemployment, playing for the UNFP team before Raus gave him his chance, but. You know, he'd he'd said before when when asked about it, Marseille's a big club. He didn't seem to be intimidated by the pressure there. He, for me, he was giving all the signs that Marseille need to kind of go towards a player. There wasn't even any interest shown, and Rent have really done well to get him. Should we sorry? Should we explain what the UN, UNFP team is? That's go ahead, Andy. Yeah, the the UNFP team is uh, essentially. I suppose it's a way. Uh, one way of putting it is it's like the Harlem Globetrotters of it's unemployed the footballers. Union, the UNFP. Yeah, the players' union is the UNFP, and um, in the summer they bring together a collection of unemployed players, who effectively putting themselves out there to be signed by other clubs. Is that what the Harlem they, Globetrotters they, were? Harlem <laughs> Globetrotters are a collection players of players that were. No, but <laughs> it's the only way I can think of describing play? it. If we the Harlem Globetrotters were the greatest team of all time, Andy. I'm not sure. Well, these 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 guys are, are are probably the greatest collection of unemployed footballers on yeah, French okay. soil. You know, yeah. it's one and way of describing it. They've also it. got one of the best names in French football on their books currently. Anyone? Atom. No, Billy Kekia Pom Pom. Oh, ah, well yes. said. True. Yeah. yeah. I, he might challenge someone we're going to talk about later in the Scrabble Stakes. We'll come on to that. <laughs> Um, one last word on the Rennes-Strasbourg game. We're going to have to talk about VAR, which I admit is not my favourite subject in the world. Generally, I'm in favour of it, but it does need to be improved, as we all know, and we don't mm, need to your, have such long breaks in play. being tested, Dave. The, the, well, as, as someone who's a keen follower of cricket, Robbie, I know how well <laughs> this system works in other sports, particularly when the Australians have no reviews left. Um, but it took six minutes for this VAR decision to be made for the Ren penalty. Lore, the Strasbourg coach, got a yellow card. I fancy that's not going to be his last yellow card of the season. He does <laughs> tend to get a bit hot under the collar. But why but is it taking so long? It's a yellow and not a red. Normally referees just send coaches and their assistants and, and other people. Well, this is the new the system, isn't it? So mm-hmm. if he gets three yellows, he'll get what, a one-game touchline ban. I, I think it's positive. Mm-hmm. I'd actually like to see sin bins in football, but that's for another day. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know where we start with the VAR discussion. I, I'm still umming and eyeing between um, it being a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I, I think globally, if you're going to have VAR, you should have it everywhere, and that's that's just impossible. You can't have it in every league because of the cost of it. I think that's a real negative. I think where you do have it, you need to have consistency across the board. Obviously, <clears throat> in in England, their um, their use of VAR is uh, is another discussion, but the use of VAR is coming in for criticism because they're doing it in different ways, precisely because they want to avoid long delays like this. Yeah, it's very problematic. Um, I mean, ultimately, the, the the biggest problem with football's rules and laws is that they are open to interpretation. And so bringing in VAR, which people thought was going to get rid of any arguments about things, you know, was it a penalty, was it not a penalty, people are still going to disagree about it. So ultimately, you could say, well, what's the point in having VAR if things are still not going to be completely 100% clear? Having said that, obviously, overall, it does contribute to improving the, the, the percentage of correct decisions that are taken. So I guess it's a good thing in that regard. But yeah, the delays need to be slowed down. The, the, way, the way I see it is a bit like a self-checkout at a supermarket. It's, it's great, right? Because you can just go straight to it. Makes a few less queues because you can fit more in. But when was the last time you managed to use a self-checkout without actually calling for help? for someone Are you to, an unexpected item in the bagging exactly. area, man? And then it takes about five minutes for the person to get their badge through and then get your items it's in. It's probably they just need to call someone over to ID you because you're fresh-faced, Armel, and when you're trying to buy those beers. <laughs> you're implying I'm always buying something illicit. <laughs> no, but it's it's... It's almost a good idea, but it's it still needs it's almost, a lot but does of that count as teething though, problems or, or not? Are we still in teething problems? Because this is the third season but now is it not, that it's is it been, not, been it's, used. It's a really good um, uh, sort of uh, comparison no. that you make because, because it's almost as though systematically replacing man with machines is not necessarily a good thing, mm. right? Mm. It's almost as though... And, and there is... There is a report going around that FIFA FIFA are getting ready to replace assistant referees with robots, okay? Well, I was just going to say I mean, that, it's just... Andy, because ultimately, if we start using this video assistant referee ev- everywhere, and if you take it to the next level, do you need a referee on the pitch? Because you, will, you, can, you can have a video assistant referee that makes the decisions. There's no one for the players to argue with. There's no one to shout at. Mm. You just have a loudspeaker or a whistle out through the ground... Red, 
free kick to the to the red team. You don't need this this human element, but that's that's dangerous because you talk about replacing man with machine. The whole idea of football and one of the beauty of football and all our nostalgia and all our romantic stories and and if we work in this industry, it's because no matter mm. how much football we watch, we remain football romantics at heart that never got over the feeling of when we were. 11 and, and, and 10 years and shouting old at the referee. Football. <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm I was, getting teary, but... <laughs> no, but fo- fo- football, football has a fundamental problem. I mean, ultimately, I think we, we all, and whether we consider ourselves to be liberals or whatever, politically, I think when it comes to football, we're all very conservative, right? We all want mm. things to kind of be... Well, I certainly do. Don't really like the idea of change in football. Mm. And ultimately, football is, is fighting... Changing the against- back pass rule was good. Well, I mean, of of course there are things that are good. Occasional tweaks to the to the laws of the game are obviously good. But sometimes you wonder if the lawmakers of football are changing the laws. There's always little changes every year, and they're not necessarily good things. And with, I mean, the, the lawmakers are ex-players, Andy, that are making that are making these. Well, changes. if you believe There's Ian Holloway, the lawmakers of the European Union. Well, obviously, the worst thing that ever happened was allowing a substitute goalkeeper on the bench, stopping outfield players going in goal. Monaco, like Rennes, have gone three from three, but in a different way. They've had three red cards in as many games. Jemison following up Aguilar and Fabregas. And Naldo's not even been anywhere near the team. Unbelievable. Anyway, Andy Scott watched Monaco's 2-2 draw at home to Nîmes as Monaco let a two-goal lead slip. Golovin, Rion Yakuru, that's clever play from Monaco. And Slimani manages to find the bottom corner. It's a debut goal for the Algerian... And Monaco are finally off the mark for the campaign. Jelson Martins, good save by Bernardoni, but Ben Yadera shows a terrific poacher's instinct to turn in the loose ball. And he gets a goal on his home debut. 2-0 now. Dulievic, ball across to the far side for Ferhat. Filippo Otto in the middle, has the time to bring it down and there's the goal. Bernard Blackar, the Nîmes coach, is unmoved. But there is still time for his team to salvage something from this game. Ferhat, cross the face of goal, and it's 2-2. And it is an incredible introduction for the substitute Denke. Andy, uh, doom and gloom at the Stade Louis de again. But there were some positive things with uh, Islam Slimani and Wissam Ben Yedda getting goals. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, Slimani looked a little bit off the pace actually for for in the early stages of the game, but took his goal reasonably well. Ben Yedder looked pretty sharp, uh, but you know you can't analyse this game without talking about the the red card. You simply can't. And uh, unfortunately, we we we've just been discussing VAR, and it's a very thorny issue. But VAR played its part in the sending off here. I mean, I mean, how Monaco? I mean, they must just feel, you know, like they're being targeted by something. I mean, you can understand their frustration. Three games, three red cards. The red card that Jemerson picked up against Nîmes was initially given as a yellow card. The referee then came to review the images and changed it to red, which is exactly what happened to Cesc Fabregas on the opening weekend of the season. In every case that they've had a player sent off this season, there is a strong argument to say that they should, the player should never have been sent off. And that, that is very hard for Monaco to take. Um, and they were 2-0 two, two up in the game and they threw it away. But then obviously, you know, you have to wonder, would that have been the case with 11 players on the field, you would say probably not. Um, having said that, there were uh, discouraging signs about their defence. They already looked weak uh, before they even had uh, Jemerson sent off. He was playing it right back, by the way, which uh, tells you a lot about the problems they had there. And uh, Ruben Aguilar, of course, was suspended. They had uh, no Benjamin Henricks, so Jemerson played in that position. And, um, you know, they, they were picked off uh, in the full-back positions after they... Uh, after they were reduced to 10 men. So, yeah, they, they, you know, they have very interesting signs going forward with Ben Yedder, Slimani, uh, Onyakuru and uh, Jelson Martins in that front four. Radamel Falcao was in the stands and uh, it looks like still he, he's more likely to be leaving the club than staying. So, yeah, I mean, it, it can only get better for Monaco, but there are, there are still real problems to be sorted out. You, meant, you mentioned those big names. I, Leonardo Jardim said after the game that they finished with eight men because he had a couple that he, you know, unsure of the fitness of because they just arrived, notably Adrian Silva, who rejoined on loan from Leicester in the, the week leading up to the game. But how, how are Monaco not winning games with, with players like that in their team? Maybe some of them are in the twilight of their careers. I don't know. The likes of 
Henry Onyakuru, he's he's not in the twilight of his career. Neither's Alexander Golovin. How are they not winning games? What is going on there? Well, I mean, they probably would have won the game yesterday had they not had the sending off. But you know, they, they, I mean, I think Leonardo Jardim said in the build-up to the game that he effectively started pre-season with only about six players or seven players who are now involved in his squad. I mean, that's got to be part of it. You know, you, you, your squad building needs to be done sooner. They're leaving it too late. They've just signed, uh, I mean, they, they have defensive problems. They've just signed Guillermo Maripan, a Chilean defender from Alaves for about 18 million euros. He's got a lot to do. He's a tall defender and he, yeah. that's where their problem is, as you've been Ex- saying. Exactly, but they're spending a lot of money. They're throwing money at this problem and the turnover of players continues and there's no sign of them sorting things out. And uh, as we discussed last week, the longer they go without a win, the more the pressure starts to build on Leonardo Jardim. Oleg Petrov obviously will be keeping a close eye on things from his seat up in the stands. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder if he's the man to be leading their recruitment policy. Um, but, you know, this they are signing lots of players, they're signing good players, but just having good players in itself doesn't necessarily mean that you win games, especially at, at the top level like this. No, but that's where Jardim comes in. And we know that Jardim has has proven himself in the past as well, even if the last couple of seasons have been more difficult. I mean, he had that side, let's not forget, before they won the league, they had a side that was so defensive and they won so many matches, 1-0. Mm. Mm. And then they, they changed things around. He managed to change the mentality of that side by bringing in for the second half of that championship winning season a youngster by the name of Mbappe playing two up front. And, it, and they were an attacking force. They played brilliant football. It's a, it's, a, it's a valid question, what's going wrong there now? But I think we can also have a little bit of faith that Leonardo Jardim can create something out of this squad. And, and maybe it will just take a little bit of time. Like you say, they're still adding pieces to the puzzle. He's a, he's a man that's proven that he can bring this side together, do something with it. And I think they probably still can. But for all these players that they sign, they end up with Jemerson starting a game at right back after 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 he goes off you have uh, Jelson Martins playing at right back and you have Jonathan Panzo coming on at left back it's clearly not a satisfactory uh, position for them to be in I mean uh, Petrov by all accounts if Falcao does leave the club is insisting that he wants to sign another striker to replace Falcao well Slimani displayed yesterday enough quality to suggest that he deserves to be given the chance I mean it could be a very good partnership with Wissam Ben Yadir sort of uh, big man, little man uh, up front together. Both of them got a goal. Slimani is big and powerful. He already speaks the language, obviously, which is which is not to be sniffed at. Ben Yedder knows the league inside out. He's been prolific for Toulouse and for Sevilla before that. So he will get you goals. They will score goals. But yeah, the defence is, is the big question mark at the moment. And, and maybe Maripan will be the solution. From Slimani, one Algerian international. Let's talk about another who was in the Nîmes ranks and is exciting people at the start of this season. Zinedine Ferhat who was signed from Le Havre. He's uh, 26 years old, got eight Algerian caps. He was, yeah, exciting against Nice, albeit in defeat, and then brilliant against Monaco in this fight back, creating two goals. Yeah, and he'd already uh, created a couple of big chances for Roman Filippotto, who scored Nîmes' first goal in in the first half of the game. uh, One of them, Filippotto, hit the bar. Another big name. Another another big name in more ways than one. And um, yeah, he's a really exciting player. I mean, not just helped by the fact that uh, Monaco were looking weak at left-back with Fode Balotouré playing there. Uh, before the red card even even came into things. But Ferhat's a very talented player. He did very good things in the second division. It's a natural step up for him. Neem have lots of players who they've signed from the, the second division. It's a gamble mm. for them. And um, I think we're going to talk about another one as well because the young man who, who got their equalising goal, Kevin Denke, who was playing in the second division on loan last season with a team who were relegated, a team from rugby country, Dave Bezier. And uh, he came in, never played in a league on game in his life, hadn't even touched the ball. And Ferhat put one on a plate for him and he, he tucked it home to make it 2-2. So what a moment for Kevin Denke, who by all accounts, the Neem coach Bernard Blackar said afterwards is going to be loaned out again. So uh, maybe a fleeting appearance for him in the top division. Great to see a number 10 called Zinedine doing well. Though, of yeah. course, named He's known after. as Zinu, not Zizou. Uh, well, yeah, he's of course <laughs> named after Zinedine Mashash, who was a fantastic <laughs> player for Marseille and Toulouse. But... Anyone that comes into Ligue 1 from Le Havre is, is a player you want to keep an eye on. on Absolutely. There. One for Matt Spiro, who loves this phrase in French, il pue le football. That's, he smells yeah, of football. Absolutely. That's what Renault Repar, one of my favourites, said about Zinou <laughs> Ferhat after the game. Bordeaux, under Paolo Sousa, got a win. 
at the weekend and that's been a rare occurrence since uh, the Portuguese took over. Four wins in 21 for him and Armel Tongi commentated Bordeaux's game. Towards Huang Il Zhou, very good ball and great first touch from the Korean. Can he get the shot away? He can and it's his first goal in French football. Dijon nil, Bordeaux won, ten and a half minutes gone. Way by Balde, back in towards Otavio. And it was Loris Benito. And barely five minutes after restarting. For the second half, Bordeaux go two up. 2-0, Bordeaux winning at Dijon, who are really struggling under Stéphane Jobard. Uh, Armel saw Huang Huizhou become the seventh South Korean to score in Ligue 1. And a special prize for any of our listeners who can name the other six will give you the answer, or more precisely, Armel will give you the answer before the end of the show. Positives for Bordeaux, but um, before we start talking about the Girondin, it is worth saying that Dijon look awful. It, it, it's They just don't look like they've got the ability to be playing at this level and a poignant fact that I worked out in my research for the game is that the last person to score a Ligue 1 goal in the 11 that they set out because their club record goal scorer Julio Tavares was missing was Mikel Alphonse their right back who scored in a two-all draw at Monaco last October since then wow. nobody had scored a Ligue 1 goal so that showed but positives for Bordeaux um, two goals from summer signings, Loris Benito and, as we say, Huang Yu Zhou, who led the line well when he was given the ball. He took his chance very well when uh, it came to him. It was a pretty simple move from Bordeaux, long ball over the top, and Huang, nice touch in on his right and curled it past the goalkeeper. I think it's difficult to judge Bordeaux on this game. A win will do not only the troops a lot of good, but also Paolo Sosa. The pressure was beginning to build and uh, more positives as well at the back I think that back three of uh, Pablo Mexia and Laurent Koscielny who are still getting to know each other because of course Koscielny only came in recently from Arsenal and Mexia came in from Rennes at the start of the summer but they looking looking like it's starting to the cement is starting to set there and Koscielny read every single ball that came into the box perfectly. So something to build on for Bordeaux, but still a lot of work. I think Dijon made them look better than they are. Now, I admit I didn't see this game in full, but I did watch the, the highlights on French television on Saturday night. And Pascal Duprat, the former Toulouse and Evian coach, was the expert pundit on that programme. And he said that 15 Ligue 1 coaches would be envious of Paolo Sosa's squad, even if Sosa wants more players. That seemed a bit excessive to me. Do you think Bordeaux really are... A team equipped to finish top six with the squad they have. And uh, I, some good players I, there. I mean, just looking yeah. at the team, I think there's some transfer rumours about Pablo, aren't there, that he could be on his on his way out and that was why they've brought in Mesher and Koscielny because there could be more changes still to come over the next week. But look, they've got good players. Otavio, if he can finally settle as well. Kalu arrived. We've, we've got Depreville, who's another who, who can play football. They've brought in Quateng as well from, from Nantes. So they've brought in a lot of defensive elements. It's a it's a it's a side with potential again. Benoit Costil is not a is not a terrible goalkeeper either. But between the posts, I mean, high praise. No, in terms, no, but I mean, in terms of saying fifteen coaches might envy the squad is you know there are elements there that have proven themselves in the past to be very solid first division footballers. Mm. Yeah, hard hard to see them finishing in the top five though from what we've seen. I predicted them for 12 before the season and I'm going to stick with that for well, now. I think that's, yeah, but I, th I think as, as Armel says, the crucial point here is they were playing against a team who, who are likely to be struggling and uh, we'll have a better idea. Right. Dijon of, were very, what, very, yeah, very weak. And we'll have a better idea of what Bordeaux can do once they, uh, once they play against some of the, some of the bigger names. Mm. Well, Kalu in, involved in that Bordeaux victory, three goals and three assists for the Nigerian in 24 league and appearances. Uh, another Nigerian to do really well at the weekend was Moses Simon, who came off the bench to score the winner for Nantes uh, against Amiens. Andy, anything to say about Moses Simon? Moses' daddy, Simon, to give you his full name. Um, yeah, he, he, he made his debut in this game. Remarkable um, introduction for him to French football. He's a player I saw last season playing for Levante and wasn't particularly uh, impressed by him, I have to say. But they, they brought him in a, on loan from Levante about a week ago and um, Christian Gourcuff 
threw him into this game with about 15 minutes remaining just after Amiens had equalised despite being down to 10 men with a goal from their own uh, African substitute Bongani Zungu, the South African who'd come on and scored an equalising goal and uh, yeah, he, Moses Simon played in by Valentin Rangier took his goal nicely and nearly got another goal at the end uh, hitting the bar with uh, with a header after, uh, was it Luza? The young player Imran playing Luzer, in the NOT yeah. team, yeah, who'd, who'd had a chip that came off the bar. Who was a Simon winner. Then, who Someone was, had to say it. Who was going on the winning team. It was only ever going to be you. And uh, who yes, was on the winning so, team, Andy. You can't, you can't phrase it like that. So Simon <laughs> Simon gets gets his goal, gets off to winning start, and uh, not to have their first win under Christian Gorkouf, which is uh, very important for them because it's been a, a pretty turbulent uh, couple of uh, weeks and months uh, at that club. It would have been a fantastic goal by Loser as well, and, and by Simon with the, with the follow-up. It was a very nice play. Rangier is another one that could be leaving, isn't he? I think we're, there are lots of talk that it could be his last game for Nantes. Yeah, Olympique de Marseille have been mm. buzzing around Rangier for ages. He's, he was playing as a, a nine and a half just off the front man at the weekend. Linking play in really stylish fashion, but his shooting's woeful. The... Um, Again, watching this highlights program, they've showed a couple of shots that he skied into the top tier of the stand and said, you know, he's got a really good strike on him. He never scores goals. He's got to improve in that department if he's going to even be what I'd consider a top quality player for Nantes, let alone for Marseille. Yeah, uh, that's Amiens, the... Thomas Moncondui, I think, got the the record two seasons ago for the most shots without scoring. And it, he, it was he even was quite on target. For... He, hit, he hit the target for the first time Moncondui two weeks got a before, shot on target. before wow, the end of the season good. and tweeted about it and everything. Maybe and... Valentin Rangier was watching a bit too much of his opposite number. Perfect for Marseille though, isn't it? No goals. Love it. <laughs> Speaking of Marseille, there's nothing we like more than hearing from you, the listener. So do get in touch with us on Twitter or at our email address, leagampodcast at gmail.com. And we've got an email from Steve Machala. I hope you've pronounced your name right there, Steve. And he says, hey guys, I'm a huge fan from New Hampshire, USA. I'm also a huge fan of three French clubs. Now we'll have a discussion about whether that's allowed, first of all, to be a fan <laughs> of three French clubs. Stade René, Strasbourg, he is, he is from Alsace, so we'll give him that. And Olympique de Marseille, an interesting selection there. In your opinion, who should I be most optimistic about across all competitions that my teams are in? He says, thanks and have a great day. Have a great day too, Steve, from us. Well, he's spreading the love quite well last season because, of course, you know, two of these teams won trophies and Marseille just missed out on a European place. Mm. I mean, for me, Ren... He's got France covered geographically, yeah. <laughs> at least, with, the, with the, the east, the west and the south. Sounds like part of a Christmas song, though, Three French Clubs. It's got a partridge in a pear tree somewhere for us as well. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Ren, Ren definitely would be the, the, the team who you'd be most optimistic about. Marseille, um, we've uh, chatted about before. I'm not even sure that signing Valentin Rangier will fix... Uh, the, the many problems that they still have. So yes, Wren, be optimistic about Wren, mate, because, you know, they've won all three of their games so far, won their first trophy in 48 years last year, and they appear to be building on it. The Marseille, it seems, don't have money to recruit, having spent a lot when Frank McCourt first came in and then not qualifying for the Champions League still, and this is going on and on. They've not managed it since uh, Ellie Bope was in charge, I believe. It's that was the, the last curse time of saying that you want to win three. the Champions League or you have a Champions project and, and you, you must never affiche vos ambitions, as the French would say. Never, never go out there and say, look, we're here, you can be ambitious, but don't say... We want to play Champions League football every year. If you're a club that aren't playing Champions League football every year, Paris Saint-Germain, don't say, we want to win the Champions League because there are lots of other clubs around Europe that are, that are going to stand in your way. Just keep your mouth shut. Do the job. What was well, that about fishing? No fishing your ambitions? Affiche. Affiche. Oh, yeah. what Which means of? poster, I guess. Okay, right. I think, I, think in fa- I think in fairness, if you're a Marseille fan, the, 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 the club with the biggest crowds in uh, French football, the only French team to have won the Champions League, I think any new owner who comes in is going to say that. They should to, be playing European football. Of, of course yeah. they should be playing. I mean, well, they, they, they will feel they should the be Champions playing project in the Champions League. Then, or, you know, don't, don't set yourselves up. 
It was the Dortmund project before, wasn't it? When mm. Vincent Labrune was there trying to but get young very, players in and qualifying cool, for the Champions that's a League every dream. year. Everyone wants a Dortmund project. But of course, of course, they have. I mean, they have an interesting game coming up uh, against Nice, uh, which you know. Apologies to listeners who may the, who are listening to this after that. Yeah, game one of the three played. games delayed because yeah. of the G7 summit that Matt's at in Biarritz. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so this this game, uh, despite the fact the the G7 summit, of course, is happening in Biarritz, this has had a knock on effect uh, by all accounts on on policing I guess in Nice and they've decided to to, to delay that game but the, the, the derby match the Nice and Marseille obviously they, they added a bit of spice because Nice that takeover by Jim Ratcliffe and the Ineos group looks to be finally ready to happen and I guess there'll be Nice fans who are getting just a little bit excited about what the future might hold for them. Which leads us neatly on to transfers because under Ineos, once that takeover happens, Nice are going to do a lot of business by September the 2nd when it, the transfer window shuts. Kasper Dolberg, the Danish striker, is expected to be the first in the 21-year-old from Ajax and there will be a lot more. Well, let's talk uh, a bit about transfers now and I'm going to defer to Armel Tongi for the pronunciation of Saint-Etienne's defender back on loan for a second consecutive season. Ah, you must mean Timotej Kolodzizak. And do you know how much Kolodzizak is worth in Scrabble? Because this is how they announced it again on social media. I counted this up. It's different in English and in French. Anyone got a guess? Without any double points, double words, triple words. I've only ever played Scrabble in Polish, so four. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Kolodzizak in English, just on its own, is worth 49. In French, though, the K is worth 10. It's not worth five. Do you reckon Tigres, the Mexican club that he just signed from, asked for the the equivalent fee in euros that he million euros that he he's worth at Scrabble? Is that You'd how hope they did so. Business. Yeah. I think it's more the shirt printing people. You pay by the letter. That, that's the, like that's got to be one of the best reasons. To sign there's in. no K, is there in 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 French originally? The only words I can think of are like koala, kangaroo, and and Australian words. That funny, you can only think of French. those. Klaxon eh? <laughs> would be a would mm. be another one. Are there any other K words in French? Write in to podcast at gmail.com with your favourite Scrabble words yeah, involving K, K. More K words. There's no K in Italian either. Does Spanish have a K, Andy? No. Nope. No, no K. Mm. No K. So what's Kolodzicek playing at? <laughs> Scrabble or football? Saint-Etienne. It looks like they might sign Johan Cabay. Um, 33 years old now, the former French international midfielder. He went to play at Al Nasser. Now, I thought in his latter time at Crystal Palace in the Premier League after leaving Paris Saint-Germain he looked well off the pace and I personally I'd be worried for Saint-Étienne if they signed him I think they'd be losing a bit of energy from their midfield I, I don't think he'd be signed as a first choice they've brought in Jean Aoulou they've brought in Riyad Boudabouz they've brought in uh, the youngster from Bordeaux Zaidou Youssouf their midfield has options obviously with Yanim Villa that they Andy's no, I, ju- I just think head, that the, the wages that they'd be paying Yohan Kabai would be very, very surprised if, if he wasn't going to be uh, part of that first much team. Much as I admire the attempts of Gislain Pranton to recreate the Newcastle United lineup of 2011-2012, Gabriel Aubertin <laughs> must be sitting by his fax machine as we speak. Waiting for the call. Gabriel Aubertin does not have a fax machine. <laughs> of course he does. It's worth 13 in Scrabble. Uh, just, oh, my pager again. It must be Saint-Étienne <laughs> trying to sign me. You can tell that Armel's the youngest person here, can't you? He's all, and he still all can't operate an automatic checkout, which gives us all hope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, th- I think Kabai has something to offer to a, a club like Saint-Étienne, a player with that sort of experience that, that is a solid midfield option. I admit I haven't seen him since he left Paris Saint-Germain. But I haven't seen him, that, seen him play. And things didn't work out for him my at theory, Paris Saint-Germain. My but, theory was they're playing Europe this season. We know that French teams, because of the problem with strength and depth, have struggled to have a good season in Ligue 1 when they've been playing in Europe. I think having someone like Kabai in the squad, valid point Andy makes about salary, and if you're paying someone that much, he's coming from, what, Qatar, if he if he does come in? Yeah. So he's clearly on a decent salary over in Qatar. But they do need numbers, and if you can get someone like that as second fiddle for midfield for your European games... He's great friends not? with Mathieu Debussy. Good man to have around the squad. Well, just, just, just overall, they've got... Uh, I mean, they've they, they obviously, like uh, all clubs in France, they've had a bit of rebuilding to do in the summer. But um, they, they have a really good mix of, of youth... and of, Well, youth, younger players and, and real experience. Debussy and Villa, Boudabouz, now Johan Cabay. So it does all go well for them. A lot coming up over the next week. The Champions League draw and the end of the transfer window. Are we expecting any big business this week? Is it going to come from Nice or could we have something coming out of the capital? 
Who knows, Robbie? <laughs> Who does know? Well, look, obviously everyone's going to be watching Paris Saint-Germain and the Neymar saga. I think that's what everyone's waiting to see, and not, not just in France either, all over the world. We said it a couple of weeks ago, I think it would be a shame for Ligue 1 if Neymar left. Not necessarily, depending on what happens in the rest of the season. It's not necessarily a bad thing for Paris Saint-Germain if he leaves. But for, for Ligue 1, I think it's a shame not to have uh, a player of Neymar's stature playing in the, in the French First Division. Well, a few more games still to come this midweek because of that G7 summit. But we're going to look ahead to the weekend, next weekend, in our Bon Voyage segment. I'm going to take this one on and uh, I'm going to go to Rennes. Uh, it's August, the weather's still good. As regular Ooh. listeners will know, I'm scared of going to Brittany most times of year, but I'm going to risk it this weekend. And I think it'll be a great game. Rennes against Nice, potentially, they could both have 100% records and it could be the, should be, the first game that Patrick Vieira will take charge of after this Ineos takeover. So that's where I think everyone should go this weekend. Can I, can I just have a, a quick uh, shout out for Strasbourg Monaco? Strasbourg obviously have got the second leg of the Europa League tie against Eintracht Frankfurt to come, so I'm not sure what kind of state they'll be in, but in general, Monaco are not in uh, great shakes themselves, and Strasbourg did very well, particularly at home against some of the bigger names in, in Ligue 1 last season. That'll be a great atmosphere and, uh, and potentially uh, another shock on the cards. Not too far away from you in Strasbourg, I think I'll go to Metz on Friday evening, where the uh, Ligue 2 champions from last season are hosting the Ligue 1 champions Paris Saint-Germain, for one reason in particular, Vincent Oignon, the uh, Mets coach, as a player, former Saint-Étienne and Nancy player, PSG were his favourite opponents. He won seven and lost just one of 12 games against them. So can he translate that into managerial form? We shall see. Well, I wasn't going to suggest that I'm going anywhere, but I will now, just looking at the fixtures. Saturday, Lyon versus Bordeaux, followed up by Sunday, Marseille versus Saint-Étienne. I think, if you take out Paris Saint-Germain... We probably have the four most successful Ligue 1 sides in terms of championship wins. I think Monaco and Nantes might have something to say about that. But it's four four big sides in the French game all going head-to-head this weekend. So uh, a nice one for the the veterans and the, the nostalgics like me. We're running out of time, but I know you're all hanging on for this. Who are the other six South Korean players to have scored in Ligue 1 Conferama? Over to you, Armel. This is my uh, career path. So, in chronological order, starting in 1998 with Strasbourg, Seo Jung-won was the first to score a Ligue 1 goal. Quickly followed not too far away, again, Strasbourg to Metz by An Jung-hwan. Who we all remember, who was a very, the most famous Korean footballer in, the, in 2002 for his goal against Italy in the World Cup, offside albeit. Staying in the east of France with uh, Jo Guk-jun, who scored for Nancy in uh, 2011. Then a very well-known Korean, Park Chul-yung, who played for Monaco, of course, and found the net for the Principality side. It's a good job Matt's not here because he'd have had words about the Arsenal spell. Kwon Chang-hoon, who scored for Dijon over the past couple of years. He's now left for Freiburg. He was a very good player to watch, but out he goes and... Suk Hyun-jun, who scored on the first day this season for Rass against Marseille. Also got a couple last season for Rass. So there we are. Chapeau, if you got seven out of seven, I think I'd have probably got five. And I'd say you'd be doing quite well if you got five. Um, anyway, that's about it for this podcast. But we'll be back sooner than you expect. At least Andy will. And our eminence Greece, Ian Holyman. They're going to be doing a Champions League draw special podcast on Thursday, so do tune in for that. Uh, we'll be back with the regular podcast next week from Robbie Thompson, Armel Tongi, Andy Scott, and myself, David Cross, and it's au revoir, and see you again soon. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.